Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. It is still January, but at least we're closer to the weekend than ever before. Coming up, Book Riot's Liberty Hardy yells about some of her favorite books coming out in early 2022. Oh my goodness. The ending was just, what, chef's kiss emoji, I guess, is what I want to say here. Then the author of A Brief History of Timekeeping offers up A Brief History of Timekeeping. One of many things that will keep me from ever holding elective office is my position on daylight savings time. But first, it's our chance to discuss all the weird and wonderful things from this week. I am super excited to introduce you to today's guests, Eric Eddings and Brittany Luce. They host the Stitcher podcast for Colored Nerds. Eric, Brittany, hello. 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 I am so excited to have you guys on the show. Excited, excited to, be, to here. be here. Yay. Okay. <laughs> jinx <in> today. <laughs> <laughs> so we are finally in the last weekend of January. This month has felt like, I don't know, at least three years. What do you think? How long <laughs> has January felt to you, Eric? <laughs> oh, man. It's, uh, I mean, each day feels like four years. Right? So... You know, I, I, I just try to take each one as it comes. And, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat thankful and, and sad that I wake up each, each day. <laughs> so, yeah, is there anything, Brittany, that's like especially getting you through these like very weird, long four year days? <laughs> um, whatever that I forget the part of your brain that controls like your breathing and your heartbeat. Those are the main mm, things mm-hmm. keeping me forward today. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think that for me, I am like just looking forward to the feeling of like when winter finally breaks Mm -hmm. like the way i think about it is i'm like okay these are my four weeks of winter yeah and once you get through like you can i can get through a month of anything sure so if i can get through four weeks of winter after that you know that we're on the upswing yeah i've been thinking about taking up the ukulele just as like a mm-hmm. ridiculous thing to do over the next. It's not ridiculous. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's super ridiculous. I mean, it's delightful, but it's also for sure ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> They're just tiny guitars. It's the same beautiful music, just smaller. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. I love that. You're welcome. (laughs) So this week, Spotify and musician Neil Young squared off. Uh, Neil presented an ultimatum to Spotify. He said, take down Joe Rogan's podcast, which has been spreading COVID vaccine misinformation, or like Spotify users can't listen to my music anymore. Uh, Spotify probably unsurprisingly did not budge. Joe Rogan's podcast is very much still there, and Neil Young's music is not. Spotify, you know, isn't super well known for being generous when it comes to paying its artists, especially indie musicians. The company's CEO, Daniel Eck, also invested more than $100 million in a company developing military artificial intelligence. Hmm. Uh, Brittany, is Spotify evil? (laughs) You know, that's a loaded question to ask Eric and me. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think you'd actually answer it. Um, no, is Spotify evil? I mean, 
on one hand, like taking like, you know, Eric and I used to work at Spotify. Mm-hmm. We had an interesting time with it. It's all easily Googleable. Um, I mean, we had issues while the company that we were working at was owned by Spotify, but many of the issues reached a fever pitch even before Spotify mm-hmm. necessarily entered the picture. But on one hand, I'm like, it'd be the easy answer, I guess, is to say yes. But, you know, I think this is like a really blatant example of something that a lot of CEOs are doing at a lot of tech and like tech, tech corporations and corporations in general. Um, I think this is grabbing the news because it involves celebrities and Joe Rogan. But I mean, you know, the fact that the pandemic is still where it is right now is indicative of the fact that there are a lot of people like Daniel Eck who are behaving in a way that is selfish and opportunistic um, when that's the last thing that the world needs right now. Um, I, admire Neil Young for taking such a stance, but I find it incredibly disappointing that, you know, people have been ringing the alarm (laughs) about Joe Rogan for a very long time and how dangerous his content is. But I do think that there is a specific type of disregard for human life to double down um, and defend a creator like him who's putting out information that is quite literally killing people instead of engaging serious criticism in any other way. The other thing is, is also like Neil Young is not nobody. Do you know what right, I mean? Right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Eric, what do you think? Like, do you think Neil Young taking the stand is going to shift the needle? Like, do you think, I don't know. It's interesting to think about if more artists maybe do also join him. I don't know. It's a really interesting question, I think. I think it will require that. I think Neil Young, you know, they've already made the decision. They're like, you can go, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, amazing for, you know, somebody uh, with that uh you know, like type of legacy. Right. But Neil Young can afford yeah. to go too, right? Yeah, you know? absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. But I think it takes other larger artists to, um, you know, to make, take that type of stand for, you know, Spotify to reconsider. And, you know, sadly, that doesn't seem to be, you know, happening. To Brittany's point, like, it's a pretty significant list of, you know, things that are, are, potentially harmful coming out of that show Mm -hmm. and you know to have it get to the point where you know there's literally death involved potential death for listeners and consumers of your product yeah it's 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 kind of shocking that uh it it would take probably 50 neil youngs Mm -hmm. you know yeah it just seems kind of cold Right. Mm. Well, because it seems like they're doing the math and the math is in favor of Joe Rogan. Right. I mean, like the numbers are like people want to listen to that show and it's making them money. So, okay, bye, Neil Young. You know? Yeah. Capitalism. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, let's move on to another very large company. Uh, Disney has a remake of uh, it's a Snow White. It's a live action Snow White remake that Mm -hmm. they're working on. It's in the news this week. Um, So back in June, Disney announced that Rachel Zegler, who was most recently in the West Side Story remake, would play Snow White. She's a Latina woman. Uh, This week, Peter Dinklage had quite a few opinions about it. He talked about it on Mark Barron's podcast, WTF. They were very proud to cast a a Latino actress as Snow White. Yeah. But you're still telling the story of Snow White. Still Snow White, yeah. Seven Dwarfs. Sure. take, Take a step back and look at what you're doing there. Yeah. I know. That makes no sense to me. But oh, so what, you can what, be you're progressive in one way, and then but you're still making that fucking backward oh, story of about- seven dwarves <laughs> living in a cave. To get, what the fuck are you doing, man? We, you know, have yeah, I yeah. have I done nothing to advance the cause <laughs> from my soapbox? I guess I'm not loud enough. 
Uh, I don't know what studio, I don't so, know what studio that is, but they, but it was they were so proud of that, and all love and respect to the to the actress and to uh, the people who thought they were doing the right thing. But I'm just like, Dude, you don't. What are you doing? These are very good points, uh, Brittany. I know you chimed in about this on Twitter. Like, I, uh, this is one to me where it's like the world does not need Snow White anymore, right? This story is so no. toxic. No, I mean, the the point of this story is that she has skin as white as snow. Right. And that is a major factor in why she's so beautiful. And she's so beautiful that this swarthy older woman wants to poison her. Right, right. <laughs> and then some other guy finds her laying down Prince sleeping. Charming. And is like, I must be with her. Yeah. Yes, Prince Charming yeah. finds her so beautiful, even though she's laying down. She can't talk. No. He doesn't know she's alive. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? All she has is this white, beautiful skin. Yes, and so it's very um, the whole thing perplexing. Yeah, it's it's, thing. We just don't need. We just no one needs it. Nobody, nobody had to do this. No one had to say yes to it. Mm -hmm. It didn't need to happen. Mm -hmm. I don't need it. I don't have any children, but the one that I plan on having, they don't need it. No one needs it. And and additionally, like you know. Peter Dinklage raised incredible points yeah. like why would you go like 50 60 100 years back in the way that people might think about dwarfism especially like when you think about the fact that there's only one person like of Peter Dinklage's status mm-hmm. in Hollywood I understand why he would feel like it's a slap in the face but additionally we just don't need the story to begin with I have no idea why they're making it yeah nobody asked for this yeah. no one asked for this <laughs> You know, I actually like a good reboot. Do you? <laughs> I do. I do. I'm one of those. Oh, I will see. Okay. Uh, but I agree. Everything doesn't need to be rebooted. You know, you can't just kind of like make some tweaks and, and fix right. some things. Right. It honestly reminds me a bit of uh, uh, the show and movie uh, Tintin, um, The Adventures of Tintin. So I grew up um, actually really loving that cartoon on on HBO, oh, yeah. you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, and even kind of watch the movie. You know, I got I got a lot older and I eventually actually like went back and and, you know, did some more research and learned like the the pretty deep roots of uh, like racism and colonialism that like mm. were are intrinsic almost to uh, the books that those shows were created on. And, mm-hmm. you know, that that was a really arresting thing for me uh, to, you know, to know that like someone saw this and thought, well, let me just erase the bad parts. And, you know, this will be good for like a, a, a new generation. And I think, you know, sometimes that process can have value. But I do think you should listen to folks, you know, in the communities affected, uh, specifically like Peter Dinklage. They're like, hey, maybe this ain't it. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe <laughs> mm-hmm. this ain't it. Yeah. Let's let that be a relic of 1937 and come up with some new stuff to make instead. Right. Also, it's been almost 100 yeah, years. Like, we could come up with anything else. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Right now, it just feels like people are just scratching the itch. Like, there's IP on the table. We can use it, right. you know? Yes. Um, and yes. I, I think that these reboots works best when there is actually, a, like, a unique reason for it to come back. Like, somebody, like, said, I saw something in this story, and I want to bring it back. As opposed to just, like, merch. Yeah, Disney's, like, they're, they're, they're trying to make live-action ones of all the princess movies. That, that's what's yeah. happening here. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just a little more feels more like a cash grab it does yeah and then also too like specifically with turning all the princess films at disney into action movies it like takes 
I don't know. They both kind of feel like strange, like feminine ideal prisons mm. in a way. Mm. So it's like you could be a princess or you can be just like, you know, this very masculine idea of what a man is. And I don't mean to say masculine or feminine, like those things necessarily hold value. But when right. you think about like a masculine right. ideal, it's like someone who's swashbuckling and murdering mm-hmm. and killing or defending or protecting or whatever. And, you know, I'm like, it, it's not really giving young girls great options in either direction if those are the only two sort of avenues that you right. have well and you could argue it's not giving boys good options either right like yeah. it's not yeah exactly i think it could yeah. be interesting to give like to have like like what like i don't know maybe like stories about young women that kind of are centered on what young women's experiences might actually be like <laughs> not like figuring out whether or not to get married at 17 or figuring out like who you have to kill to avenge your family i feel like there's just in between that we could you know milk for story yeah yeah i think that's a really good point so one of my favorite stories from this week was about this lady named laura spears she's a 55 year old woman she lives in michigan she was checking her spam filter for an email that she was expecting that she didn't find in her inbox And she found out that she won the lottery. It was a $3 million prize. I think this is kind of the best story ever. Brittany, have you won the lottery in your spam folder? (laughs) I have not won the lottery. One thing I'll say when I looked that up, I didn't know she, I didn't know you could buy lottery tickets online. I've never, I've never bought a lottery ticket before. Me neither. Really? I always wanted to. Yeah. I was going to say, I also just would have thought that the, I won the lottery thing was spam or a scam. I know, know, right? Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I actually had a little bit of a problem uh, from probably about like seven to 10. Like my mom uh, one time like bought me a scratch off or bought a scratch off. and was like, hey, do you want to scratch it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I said like, if I if I win, can I keep it? And she was like, yeah. And I won $500. Oh, my God. Um, oh, it was, my gosh. Yeah. It was an insane amount of money. She, yeah. I, I don't even think she let me keep all of it. I think she let me keep like $100 yeah, and I was happy. Her. Yeah. Um, but yeah. then every time I saw scratch offs, I was like, hey, can uh, we can we can we get one? Oh, of course. Uh, <laughs> and of course, I never I never won again. And eventually, I guess my uh, my, you know, my gambling habit kind of faded away. <laughs> uh, luckily, before high school. So, yeah. Eric, that's nice. amazing. Well, I don't know. I'm kind of inspired to buy a ticket. I don't know about y'all. Me but too. I kind of feel like maybe we should just like, you know see what happens we should do it let's get let's get crazy <laughs> i'm ready eric Brittany. thank you both so much this was really fun thank you this was so much fun thank you for having us it's a whole new year which means a new year of books there's a lot of good stuff scheduled to come out this year and here to holler and flail about some of them is liberty hardy she's a senior contributing editor for book riot and host of the all the books podcast she reads hundreds of books a year and she is here to tell us about some of her faves liberty hello hello greta thank you for having me back so, gosh, I mean, we haven't had you on in six months. I have to say what's very exciting for me is that in that time frame, you and I have become like text buddies. And so yes. we are constantly talking about books, which yes. is a real highlight of my 2021 and 2022 so far. Absolutely. And pet pictures. And pet pictures. Yep. Yeah, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah, the important things for sure. Um, okay, so let's dive in. Um, tell us about Yinka. Oh, yes. Okay, so my first pick is Yinka, Where Is Your Husband? That's husband with a Z instead of an S mm-hmm. by Lizzie <laughs> Damilola Blackburn, which is out now. It reminded me a bit of Bridget Jones. It's lovely and funny 
It's about a young woman named Yinka. She's in her late 20s, if I remember correctly. Uh, she's an Oxford-educated British-Nigerian woman, and she mm-hmm. believes in true love, because apparently there are still some people out there who do, uh, even <laughs> if it means waiting a long time to find it. Unfortunately, nice. her mother and her aunties are not in agreement. Like, they don't think that love is happening fast enough for her. They're like, when are you going to have babies? And they are constantly, like, getting in her way, trying to set her up, you know, to the point where at a baby shower for her her sister, they hold a group prayer hoping that Yinka finds a oh, husband. Like, which is just, which it makes her feel bad about herself and it frustrates yeah, that her. Sucks. You know, yeah. she's, but she, you know, she would like to find somebody. She just actually got out of her relationship and her heart is still kind of tender. Sure. But now her cousin is getting married and she needs to find a date to the upcoming wedding, mm-hmm. especially since she found out that, guess who's going to be there? Her ex. Her ex. She's trying to, like, be like, hey, I'm all over you, and it's fine, and I have a new date. Uh, So, you know, the best way to find a boyfriend? A spreadsheet, right? Oh, God. I mean, I have friends who have done that. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, but of course, life has a way of surprising you, even when you think you have it all planned out. So... I loved this book. I loved the witty banter, especially with her would-be suitors. And the text itself is peppered with text messages and actual spreadsheets. But the important (laughs) message here is that, you know, down with societal and cultural cultural pressures about dating. I love it. That sounds very fun. Um, So if we go in chronological order from your top five coming out in the first half of the year... Next up is Memphis, which I actually had not heard about. Oh, my goodness. Okay. It's coming out on March 1st, but, like, this novel will destroy you. It is one of the best debut novels I've ever read, but you have to be ready because it is filled with some serious, heartbreaking subject matter. The focus of the novel is three generations of black women in a Southern family. Uh, It's told over 70 years from segregation in the South to uh, 9-11 with a young woman named Joan at the center. She and her sister and her mother have left their abusive father and moved back to the family home in Memphis to be with their aunt and cousin. And it's about, you know, the traumas that they are dealing with. And there's also a woman who lives in the neighborhood who deals in curses. And she's helping them, you know, work some of those things out. It's told back and forth through time. It's so good. The characters seem so real and it unfolds perfectly. But this book will punch you in the gut repeatedly. But Mm. you're just going to have to trust me that it is incredible. It's funny when we did like a best books of the year of 2021 thing. And one of the people we had on was MJ Franklin, who works at the New York Times. Mm -hmm. And he said his favorite sorts of books involve like when you finish it, all you can tweet is like cry face emoji, heart emoji, cry face emoji, heart (laughs) emoji. It sounds like this is definitely one of those. Yes, that's this one. (laughs) So your next pick is one that I'm super excited about. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I cannot wait. It is Sea of Tranquility, which is the next book by Emily St. John Mandel. Yes. And, you know, she's all over the place right now because Station Eleven is now a television show, Mm -hmm. which if you've not read the novel, it is worth reading, even if you're like, oh, plagues, I don't want to read about them. And also, I reread the novel recently, and it lands very differently than it did when I read it. I bet. I have read all of Emily St. John Mandel's books, and Sea of Tranquility is my favorite. It's her shortest. It's her, I think, the most beautiful. It takes place in a few different time periods from, like, 100 years in the past to, like, 300 years in the future. 
people we have colonized the moon and other planets uh, there is an author who is on tour from one planet to another when a plague is is approaching there's a visit with a, a character from the glass hotel which was her last novel but there's mm-hmm. like very few little spoilery things about that character so you don't have to have read the glass hotel um it's huh. the common thread is that there is a strange glitch in time that several period people experience throughout history um it's sad and fascinating and beautiful and oh the ending was just oh what chef's kiss emoji i guess is what i want to say here (laughs) (laughs) so yeah you're gonna be thrilled with it that's so funny because like just hearing you say the phrase strange glitch in time i like leaned forward it's like tell me more (laughs) like that's probably one of the best phrases to hear in the summary of a book don't you think yeah she's so good at this and there are a couple of other books coming out now that i almost consider like emily saint john mandel would we call it mandelian fiction mandelian yeah Yeah, totally like how high we go in the dark i was just gonna ask i haven't read a whole lot of books that have come out so far this year but that's one that i have read and it's like how high we go in the dark is less than 300 pages but it just like it packs such a punch and it's he covers so much ground in that book yeah, but we were only supposed to talk about a few books, so I had to, I had to weed some out. Like I would be that contestant on Wheel of Fortune that would not be able to say a letter before my time ran out. Like I just can't pick; it's so hard. <laughs> well, yeah, I think this is obviously like we pitch this as like top five books, but we're of course going to talk about. I don't know. I figure yeah. at least a dozen, right? Isn't that how this works? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, tell me about Unlikely Animals. I know you love it, but I don't know anything about it. <sighs> it's so hard to sum this book up succinctly because there are so many different things going on in this book like if you've been dying to read a new john irving novel which we were promised in 2017 and still has not appeared this is the john irving that i want to read it's set in a small new hampshire town it's about a young woman named emma she's born with the ability to heal people with her touch like literally like she can heal people with her touch but her parents are like we don't want you to be an outsider we don't want you to be studied you know we don't you're not allowed to use this power and so she grows up not not using it and but they are like you are a healer you need to go to medical school and she's like i don't know if i want to go but they send her anyway so now at the beginning (laughs) of the book she's like i don't want to be a doctor but here she is in medical school she gets a call from her mother saying that her father is dying from a mysterious brain illness they don't know what's wrong with him um, Mm. but she asked her to come home and now she's thinking emma's thinking like my mom wants me to come home because she wants me to heal him with my touch but she hasn't used it in so long she doesn't even know if it still works but she also has to look after her younger brother who is home from his most recent rehab stay because the opioid epidemic is you know on fire Uh, they also live near this reserve which is an actual place in new hampshire where this uh area of forest is closed off just for like these millionaires who use it to hunt and have cabins in there and then there's also a missing childhood friend uh a plot involving a classroom of earnest middle grade students an amateur theater (laughs) production um there's a very expensive mail order fox but i'm gonna keep talking about this book the narrators are what really stole my heart and i can't tell you who they are because it would ruin the surprise so interesting wow oh, so good i've already read it three times <laughs> three times oh my god it's so funny talking to you because i always get this very distinct feeling that's like i need to read more books immediately <laughs> that's amazing okay so that's unlikely animals by annie hartnett and that's out april 12th right yes awesome okay so tell us about your last one nettle and bone okay so this one's going to be a really short description because all I have to say to you is Nettle and Bone by T. Kingfisher comes out April 26th, 
has a chicken that's possessed by a demon. Boom! Mic drop, right? Like, that's all you need to know. That's it. But I'll talk a little bit more about it. First of all, if you've never read T. Kingfisher, she is amazing. This is full-on fantasy. But the tagline for this is fantastic because it's, this isn't the kind of fairy tale where the princess marries a prince. It's the one where she kills him. Okay. And it's a really, really delightful, fun book about murder. (laughs) About an epic adventure to go and murder someone. It's about a tiny kingdom that's situated between two very large kingdoms. Mara is a princess in this kingdom. She has two sisters. Uh, Each kingdom is about to basically run over their kingdom to grab more land. And so her parents send her sister off to marry a prince so that on one of the sides so that, you know, they can have peace in their kingdom. But he's a very, very, very bad man. Like Joffrey Baratheon, bad man. Oh, okay. They send her her Mara to a convent because they're like, well, we've taken care of this. And, you know, she goes to a convent. But, you know, she learns about this prince. And so she decides she's going to kill him. So she goes and she meets a witch and asks her to help her kill the prince because he is protected by magic that his fairy godmother put on him. And then, you know, there's like a trip. There's a road trip, which ends up with like a dog made out of bones, a demon chicken, the fairy godmother, the witch. They're all on their way to uh, kill this prince. That sounds like charming and fresh but also paying homage to stuff that we grew up loving too you know yeah it's it's delightful liberty thank you so much this was such a pleasure as always you are welcome and thank you that was a lot of book titles you can find a list of them all in the show description in your podcast app or you can click on today's episode if you go to wbez.org slash nerdette after the break what is time? Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Here's a question you've heard me yell on the show before. What is time? I know my relationship with time has changed a lot over the past two years, which is why I'm super excited to talk to our next guest. His name is Chad Orzel. He's a professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at Union College. His newest book is called A Brief History of Timekeeping. Chad, welcome. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so what is time? (laughs) Well, I'm an experimental physicist by training, so I'm very comfortable with just the pure operational definition of time is what you measure with a clock. Okay. And then on top of that, I would say, well, you know, you, you, then you ask, well, what's a clock? And I'd say, well, a clock is a thing that ticks, right? A clock is something that does some regular repeated action that you can count to mark the passage of time. So, and that is to say that like, it doesn't have to be seconds then it can be, you know, like you could be using a metronome, you could be going slower or faster. It's just some sort of like repetitive motion that marks the passage of time. Exactly. It just has to be any kind of regular repeated action. And so these can be really, really fast, right? Our uh, atomic clocks define one second as 
9,192,631,770 oscillations of a particular frequency of light that's emitted by cesium atoms moving between two energy states. You can also use something uh, incredibly slow, like the motion of the sun along the horizon. And those, those are the oldest clocks in the world, are these solstice markers, like Stonehenge is the most famous, but uh, my favorite is, is Newgrange in Ireland, which is aligned so that on one day a year, sunlight reaches the center of this massive artificial hill down a, an extremely narrow passageway. And that tells you that you've reached the winter solstice, right? That happens once a year, that's a tick, it's an incredibly slow tick, but it's still a tick that you can count to mark the passage of time. God, that's amazing. So even just chatting over the last couple of minutes, you've already mentioned a couple of different timekeeping devices over the centuries. And in your book, you talk about all sorts of different methods, um, you know, Stonehenge, the water clock, tower clocks. I'm curious, and I don't know if this is a fair question, but like, is there one time related invention that you think changed society the most? I think the the thing that's that's really changed uh, society the most in in a deep way is sort of the the development of, of mechanical clocks and particular watches that yeah. are reasonably accurate because that that really drives uh, an immense democratization of time. Right, you look at these really ancient clocks, things like Newgrange. Right, it's not something that that's you know a public thing. This is elite knowledge that's being you know, guarded by a small number of people. When you get into the, the 1800s and, and it starts to become relatively cheap to sell watches that keep reasonably accurate time, you know, everybody knows what time is. And, and that changes a lot of the, the way that we live our lives day to day, right? We can schedule things much more tightly and everybody can think about time in ways that, that you just couldn't uh, many years earlier when time was something that you, you know, you needed to know a lot about astronomy to be able to figure out. Yeah, that's so interesting because it's something I found myself thinking about as I was getting ready for this interview is that like time must have just been looser, right? Because like before something like a watch, you couldn't say 2.15 and expect someone to meet up with you with any sense of confidence around that time, right? Like people probably just said mid-afternoon or something and hoped someone would show up. Yeah, I think things are were a little more flexible. But it, it is interesting, though, to, to note that, you know, going back thousands of years, people are interested in keeping relatively precise time. Right. They, there are, uh, believe it or not, it is possible to make portable sundials. Uh, and we have examples of those from Roman times. Um, and, you know, if you go back uh, to around 1500 BCE, there's this inscription in a tomb in Egypt by a guy bragging that he had invented a kind of water clock that would keep accurate time through the night uh, year round. And that was a really big deal. So it's really interesting to think about the connection between time and the Industrial Revolution and, of course, capitalism. And then I think also daylight savings time. What is your what's your take on daylight saving time? One of many things that will keep me from ever holding elective office is my position on daylight savings time, which is. Oh, good. I'm so glad I asked. <laughs> so what I think we should do is we should drop back an hour in November and then starting on the December solstice. Uh, every week you should move the clock forward five minutes. Oh my God, right? that's so complicated. Which is, it's short enough that you would barely notice it. Yeah, you lose five minutes of sleep. That's not a, that's not a big deal. And over the course of 12 weeks, by the middle of March, it would get you back to uh, the, the, you know, time that we have for daylight savings. And then you get all the benefits of daylight savings. Interesting. Now, you know, everybody says that's too complicated, but really, right? These days, most of our clocks are connected to the internet, right? You're getting the time from your phone. 
So that just updates automatically. And uh, you don't need to worry about it. Huh, man, I'm going to think about that one a lot. I'm not I'm not sure I'm sold on it. It, it. It's an interesting phenomenon, though, that that we have this and that we do this because it really highlights the the degree to which time is really a matter of convention. Right. We've decided that we would like to have long evenings in the summer and relatively early mornings in the winter. And so we just, you know, mess around with our clocks a couple of times a year to make that happen. Uh, and, and that's really kind of fascinating. Well, Chad, thank you so much for talking with me. This was a delight. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks for having me on. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening along. This coming Tuesday marks the beginning of the month of February, which means we can fake celebrate a happy new year if you listen to our episode with Emily Landon recently. We also have another book club pick for you. This time we are doing Gwen E. Kirby's short story collection, Shit Cassandra Saw. Listen to the author interview this coming Tuesday and get the book and read along with us. We would love to have you. You can also keep in touch with us on the internet. We are at Nerd at Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Our executive producer is Brendan Banzak. We will see you next month. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.